Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. And we are rolling, sir. Hi, welcome to the Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette, and joining me is Joshua Gray, my good friend and co-host. Oh, I'm good friend now. Wow, I've been upgraded. <laughs> like we go through, welcome like back. we've done the hundred some yeah. episodes we've gone know, through. Right? I'm pretty sure I said that you're my good friend at least like seventy five. Hundred some of that time. odd. I think we're on like fifty five. I know it feels like a hundred, but it's not been nearly that many. Well, however many it's been. We've done all of these episodes together, and we've never once had any represent- representatives from the VBA on here. We haven't. No, this is the first. So we are very honored today to be joined by two representatives from the VBA, Veterans uh, Benefits Administration. We have the acting director of the VBA up in Reno, Tina Tellerico. Hello. Hi. And we have here from our uh, representative from the hospital here in North Las Vegas, we have Lauren Castillo. She's the Veterans Readiness and Employment Officer. Hello there. Hi, welcome to both of you, and um, it's great that we actually have somebody from VBA here. I know, VBA right? Here. Yeah, this is the first time. So the VBA office is is centered up in, in Reno uh, for the state of Nevada, correct? Yes. And while it's, uh, you know, same states, the opposite end of the, it seems like opposite end of the, uh, the whole western, uh, west area here, and it's, you know, unfortunate that we don't get to work as regularly in person with you, but, you know, with the town hall coming up tomorrow as we record this, um, you're joining us, and it's uh, it's great to have you here in person. It's wonderful to be out of the 17-degree weather, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you at least have snow up there? Uh, a little bit. Uh-huh. It's cold enough that it's not melting, so that's uh, a nice thing. I miss snow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's what? It's still 37 degrees down oh, here. We get the cold here. It feels yes. like we get the snow. Yes. Like 40 degrees in this office right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we're here for the PAC Act, and that's the thing that's really been on the top of everyone's minds here at the VA for uh, the past two, three months, and really since August. Um, this week being the week of action for the PAC Act, uh, we're hosting the town hall tomorrow, and we have a lot of questions. Um, a lot of veterans have been asking about you know, the healthcare side of things, and we've been trying to do as much as we can to communicate those answers. Uh, but for the VBA stuff, there's a lot of stuff that's really centered around the things you guys are doing. Um, you know, how big has the PAC Act been for you in, in your day-to-day work? So I've been here for 17 and a half years. I'm counting that half year because it counts. <laughs> um, and I don't think that we've had a change this large in the entire time that we've been here. We've had a lot of systems changes, a lot of, you know, um, transformation type changes. But this is the largest act that is beneficial to the veterans since I've been here. So. One of the great things about the PACT Act is that it adds 20 new, oh, actually over 20 new presumptive conditions uh, based on toxic exposure or other elemental exposures. Um, one of the big ones there is hypertension for our Vietnam veterans who served in, you know, in Vietnam or during the Vietnam era uh, and were exposed to Agent Orange. So that's a big one I think that's going to be really life changing for quite a few people. Um, we have. Uh, more presumptive locations adding for the radi- uh, for both radiation and Agent Orange exposure, which is also going to expand the the benefits available to those veterans who served during those time periods. So yeah, PACX, it's been a really big thing. So you know, we'll, we'll talk about some of the details on that going forward. But um, you said you have been working for the VBA for 17 years. Yes, and a half. 17, 17 and a half. Okay. Yes, yes, and yes. How long have you been in Reno? Uh, I've been re- in Reno for. 
four and a half years. I am actually the sitting service center manager, so I'm the, the manager over the benefits claims processing division. But when our director retired in September, I'm also having the pleasure of being the acting director of the facility. Uh, our satellite office down here in Las Vegas houses about 45 of our 225 employees. So I get down here about once a month. I really awesome. like it. And Lauren, how long have you been here? I've been in Vegas for actually a little over a year now as the Veteran Readiness and Employment Officer. Prior to that, I was in Los Angeles, coming from a large regional office, um, actually to a smaller one, but we are growing quite quickly. So. so getting into discussion about the PAC Act, what is the PAC Act and when are we like set to kick this thing off? So the PAC Act is perhaps the largest bill. Um, that is expanding health care, veterans with toxic exposures, uh, veterans to the Vietnam, Gulf War, and post 9-11 era uh, veterans. Uh, like I mentioned, adding more than 20 new presumptive conditions, adding additional uh, presumptive exposure locations for Agent Orange and radiation. And uh, right now, in the benefit side of the world, we are in preparation mode. We are training our staff so that we can make sure that we're processing these accurately, quickly, and at the, at, you know, with the highest level of quality. Um, we right now are not set to process these cases until uh, after January of 2023, but in the meantime, we are prioritizing some of the cases uh, with our, for our cancer veterans um, so that they can get the health care and the benefits that they need in a timely manner. I mean, really, we're, we're in the education phase of, of everything going yes, on right Yes, that's a now. great way of putting it. I love it. Because, I mean, it, it, it was a big deal in August when this passed. A lot of people know it as the uh, Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson Act. Uh, it was named after a 39-year-old uh, veteran who passed away after uh, toxic exposure while serving in Ohio, the Ohio National Guard. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of, of education, a lot of communication that we're trying to do about this to inform veterans before it actually all rolls out in January. Um, which, of course, that's the, the purpose of the town hall tomorrow is to really help get the education out there for that. Um, so what does it mean to have a presumptive condition for the toxic exposure? So presumptive condition uh, where it differs than normal service connection. Normal service connection, the, um, the veteran has to prove that, they, that their disability was caused by their service. Under, for a presumptive exposure, presumptive condition to be considered, you just have to prove that, or they have to show that they have the military service and a current diagnosis. So the, I, the, the th evidentiary threshold is very much lowered when you have a presumptive um, you know, a presumptive condition or presumptive entitlement. So for something like this, why why is it presumptive versus having to prove that, you know, you having to meet that burden of proof? So uh, all presumptives are law-based. Um, you know, we don't have the decision. We don't have that discretionary authority. But um, in this instance, you know, this is huge, adding, you know, like I mentioned, over 20 conditions to those. Um, a lot of them, there's 12 new cancers, 12 respiratory conditions, the two Agent Orange conditions, hypertension, and being the big one there. Okay, like, and, and the one thing that I hear everybody talking about this, it's like, oh, that's the burn pit bill. But you're mentioning that it's it's a lot more than burn pits. Because when I think burn pits, I think of you know, oh, I was over in Iraq or Afghanistan, and you know, I'm out out on this fob, and we just burn all of our trash, right? But it it sounds like it's a lot more than than just that. I mean, it. 
probably really is, but for you as a veteran, you just have to show us that you were in Iraq, Bahrain, you know, some of those places, Afghanistan, Qatar, and as long as you were there after a certain time period, we're going to presume that you were exposed to burn pits. So that's kind of the, the reduction of the evidentiary threshold. And so as long as you were there and then you have a respiratory condition at this point in time, what we really just need is a current level of, of uh, disability. And we would, be, we would be able to service connect that under the presumptive basis. I mean, this affects a lot of people for many generations of, of service. I mean, you and I were both, you know, serving in, in various places within Southwestern Asia and, you know, I, we may not have been next to a burn pit every day, but you know there are many times where we're probably exposed to to things that are on this list. So you know, for a lot of people who may not think this applies to them, it really does. I 100% agree. I mean, I would say to anyone who, you know, meets some of the uh, requirements of the serving locations, I would file a claim. We encourage you to file a claim. Let us decide or help you determine whether or not one of these presumptive conditions would apply to you. And and the nice thing is, is that uh, no matter when you file your claim, all of the effective dates, so the payment dates that we would service connect these back to, is going to be the date that the bill was signed, so August 10th of 2022. And um, um, essentially uh, veterans and their survivors because there may be some entitlement to some survivors for um, dependent dependency and indemnity compensation which is basically you know if, the, if your veteran um, passed away due to a service-connected condition or we would determine that would be the case then they would be entitled to a monthly stipend and some other benefits uh, for that but uh, sorry uh, I squirreled um, the benefit to a filing a claim now and up until August 10th of 2023 is that we will honor that original bill passing signing effective date of August 10th of 2022. So I mean, really, that's like that's the big window that people should really be looking for is between essentially January and August 10th yep. of 2023. Yep, January, we start processing them. Everything most likely will be backdated back to August 10th, and you pretty much have until August 9th of 2023 to protect that original effective date. So this goes back beyond just our generation, like we were saying about you know Iraq, Afghanistan veterans. Uh, this goes back to Vietnam with Agent Orange as well. Yes, it does, and that and. Um uh, this is, I, to be honest with you, this is a really, really huge uh, win for the for our Vietnam veterans. Uh, you know, we have some established presumptives that many of them are already service connected for. But you know, for a long time, we've probably been denying quite a few of these folks hypertension. This is huge for them. So, you know, Vietnam veteran exposed to Agent Orange, file a claim for hypertension. So is this, um, the, the application process, is this something that can be done here in person at the hospital if a veteran were to walk in here? Um, is this something that they could do here or would it be something they would have to do online? Online. Okay. Yes. Very encouraged with the online aspect of it and being paperless. And, and that makes it much easier, I would think, for everybody involved. Um, now, is this a, something that's open to somebody who hasn't enrolled yet or do they have to enroll first? No, they, uh, we have two kind of what we would consider lanes for claims. If you've never filed a claim for one of these specific contentions or conditions before, we consider it a new claim. Uh, you use the VA Form 526, which you can find online. Uh, you can print those out. You can actually mail them in if you're more of a handwriting kind of person. I think I prefer that. I'm kind of old school. But uh, you can also <laughs> submit it online, like Lauren said. Um, uh, if you've actually filed one of these cases claims before, you've been previously denied, Come back in. It's it's 
considered a supplemental claim. We want you to file your claims because we're now going to be evaluating them under a different provision. So there's a good chance that, you know, it would be a favorable finding this time. Now, for somebody who I myself got out of the military service, I'm currently enrolled for VA healthcare. So to me, it's easy for me. My doctor would normally just, you know, ask me, have you done your toxic? Uh, before it was that, he'd ask me, are you on the burn pit registry? Things like that. So I was already aware of this. Some of the, the like retirees maybe who don't enroll in VA care and they get their they get their VA care or they get their health care outside the VA. That, that's me. Like basically, like <laughs> I'm I'm retired, um, but I'm enrolled in Tricare, so I get all of my health care up at the base. I'm not enrolled in. I I never even really got a, a rating because I came out of the the military. No, there's nothing broken, nothing, anything like that, right? Um, you know, and for this, you know, talking about it, like. Like, like he mentioned, I spent most of my time, like, I went to Iraq, but I was in central Baghdad, so we didn't have any burn pits nearby or anything like that. So what's kind of the avenue for somebody like me that, you know, I'm, I'm not enrolled in VA healthcare, I don't feel like I, I have any place in this bill, um, you know, and, and there's kind of a, uh, a tendency among some folks to be like, oh, I don't want to take it from, from those guys, right? There's people that lived out on FOBs and, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to contribute to the backlog, right? So what would you recommend for somebody like like me to, to what actions should I take when it comes to the PACT Act and, and screenings and things like that? You know, I would really encourage uh, folks like you to at least come in and explore what the health care has to offer. Um, along with the, with the signing of this bill, you know, all veterans are going to be offered to free toxic exposure screenings once every five years. Uh, I think that that's going to Get, uh, provide a baseline for where you're at right now, and if you continue to do that, right, um, you'll you can see some improvement. I, 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 the other thing that it's really going to help is the education, research, the future of where we're going with this, so that we can educate our staff. We can, you know, provide adequate research, and maybe there's a possibility that based on those screenings, we add ten more presumptive conditions because they're seeing a mass amount of that, all based on you know some of the burn pit presumptive areas. And, and this may not be a question that, that you can. Answer, but what's really involved in that screening? Is it just filling out like a questionnaire, or is it like do you go and talk to a doctor and they 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 run blood tests on you or something? Or so that part I don't know. Okay, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to the Agent Orange presumptive conditions and the toxic burn pit exposure we talked about, uh, there's also some new locations added for radiation presumptive. Yes, there's three new locations, Anawetic Atoll, uh, Palomares, Spain, and Thule Air Force Base. And then in addition to that, there's five new locations for Agent Orange exposure, and those would be um, Thai, like Thai, uh, Thailand. It used to be that um, we would concede exposure along just the DMZ for Thailand, but we've actually pretty much added the entire country of Thailand. So that's really great adjudication opportunity for veterans who served in Thailand. Um, there's some uh, in Laos, Cambodia, Guam, America, America Samoa, and at Johnston Atoll. Okay. Yeah. As we're talking about these locations, just so we don't people don't have to memorize all of them and everything. There is a website out there for people to, to find some of this stuff for PAC Act. Uh, if you go to www.va.gov slash PACT, uh, you'll find all that stuff. And we'll, we'll mention it a couple times throughout the podcast because it, it, it's the complete repository for all information about the PAC Act. We don't want you to have to, to remember every single location that we talk about. And you can go there and file a claim. So it's also, you know, after you do a little bit of your own research, it would be a good place for you to then take it to the next step and file a claim with VBA so we can get started. 
So we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk more about the PAC Act with VBA. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. It was a normal day. He was in some minor accident, a fender bender. And I had this impulse to call him, but I didn't, because I thought I could call him later that week. He abandoned the car, he came home, and he shot himself without ever talking to anyone. When I came home that night and I found her, they told me that she had shot herself. And I couldn't believe it. I asked if he was okay. Shooting is unfortunately effective. There are not a lot of second chances. Once you pull that trigger, that's it. There is no coming back. 63 Americans a day die by gun suicide. By storing our guns safely, locked, unloaded, and away from ammo, we can give our loved ones a second chance at life. Learn more at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by Brady and the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome back to The Nine Line Podcast. John and Josh here with Tina Tellerico and Lauren Castillo from VBA. Uh, we're talking PACT Act and all things veteran benefits related. So before we move on to other topics about veterans benefits, um, let's just finish talking about the PACT Act. How do veterans file a disability claim for a new presumptive condition? So there's a couple of options. You can file them online. You can do it uh, through the mail, which you would have to go online most likely to get the form, print it down, fill it out, send it through the mail. Um, we have 1-800 numbers for our veterans and survivors to call where a claims agent can help you fill out the form online. And you can do it in person. So if you're around, out and about, any close to any regional office or little satellite office like Las Vegas, we are here, trained, uh, we're willing to help. So what if the VA has denied a veteran's claim in the past, but now considers that condition presumptive? So we want you to file a new claim. VA is going to try to make an effort to reach out to veterans, but I would tell you, don't wait for us. You come to us. Um, you know, it was denied previously under different provisions. Now it would be considered under the presumptive provision. Again, uh, you know, less evidentiary threshold. Just show us you are there and that you have a current diagnosis and uh, the presumptive criteria is met. So file a new claim. Now, we talked a little bit before about how January is kind of like the kickoff for, for the window for when you guys look appeals for the, or the, the claims for this, but when should veterans look to apply? So I would encourage all veterans who, who believe they're entitled or know they're entitled to file a claim now. 
uh, why now rather than waiting until when we can actually process the claims. This will give us a little bit of time to uh, review their electronic claims file, request service treatment records if we need to, um, you know, request exams or medical opinions that are going to help establish a current level of disability so that when we have the authority to process those cases, it's going to already be ready. We're not behind the curve there. Well, I think one of the things that's, that's also going to be kind of important is, you know, there's only going to be a couple of people applying for this, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just, just a, a couple few. million. Right, yeah. So, yeah, there's going to be a ton of people it's gonna be signing a long up for line. this. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's much better to be at the front of that line and then, you know, at the back of that line. Yeah, yeah. that's a very, very true statement. Yeah. Now, if somebody doesn't present any symptoms of any of those conditions at the moment, but, you know, say 10, 15 years down the road, they start to see symptoms from some of this stuff, um, will they still be able to apply at that time? Absolutely. So as soon as the symptom itself manifests, I would, I would, you know, encourage veterans and uh, to apply for the benefits themselves. Uh, would you be entitled to an effective date back to the original signing of the law? As of right now, no. But I mean, who knows in the future, right? We've been there with the with the benefits division under other various laws that have that have uh, entitled veterans to earlier effective dates. But yes, as soon as those symptoms start to manifest, you've got those service requirements met. Absolutely, file a claim. And you touched on it briefly before, but let's talk a little bit about some uh, survivor's benefits. Um, you know, for those who, you know, have passed away and fit within the criteria of uh, these service area, of these, you know, service times and locations, uh, what kind of benefits can uh, survivors apply for? So the primary benefit is going to be dependency and indemnity compensation, which is a monthly payment to a surviving spouse, a children, a child, or a parent. Um, as if we can, if the veteran passed from a service-connected condition, which you know, which now at this point we would reevaluate some of those under the presumptive conditions, uh, they would be entitled to that. There's also a benefit for accrued. Uh, accrued benefit that's a little redundant there but um, that's basically a one-time payment that would reimburse um, funeral or, or death you know funeral expenses as long as you are the paying official if that makes sense um, there's some health care related um, entitlements under what we call CHAMP VA, one of our many acronyms, um, which is the Civilian Health and Medical Program of the Department of the Veteran Affairs, and then also a burial allowance, which is a one-time payment as well to help cover the cost of, of funeral expenses. Okay. And all that stuff, like we said before, the PACT Act is such a long, you know, it's a long bill. Thankfully, it's very inclusive of a lot of different things, but um, you know, we encourage people to, to go check out the website for, you know, not only to apply, but also to find out the, the full list of locations and, and, you know, time periods in which this applies for. Um, let's talk a little bit about some other veterans benefit stuff because, you know, it's rare we ever get the chance to talk to you about some of these questions. Now, Lauren, you represent the Veterans Readiness and Employment Program Office. That's correct, Chapter 31. We are assisting veterans with service-connected disabilities and evaluating all disabilities to be suitably employed. We're an employment-focused program. So for veterans who meet the criteria for the Veterans Readiness and Employment Program Office, what kind of services do you offer for those veterans? So we're going to evaluate the veteran and we're going to evaluate them from head to toe and we are going to discuss their transferable skills and their previous education. And what we're doing is we're evaluating to find, um, to help them and to give them the benefits that they're entitled to. So if a veteran is service-connected, a disability for PTSD, and let's say they don't have the education to 
find a position or maybe the training that they need, then we're going to help them with that particular training. Um, we're going to discuss career exploration, again, looking at them from a holistic approach, and we're going to see what is suitable. How can we help you rejoin the workforce that doesn't trigger your disabilities? So would that training be simply through, you know, say the 9-11 GI Bill, or do you guys offer extra, like additional sources of, of training? That's a great question. The GI Bill, Chapter 33, is a completely separate chapter. That benefit, they are entitled to. That's a benefit that they earn through the military. Chapter 31, we have a process, right? So your application, at least 10% service-connected rated. And then we go ahead and we make our determination of entitlement, again, evaluating that veteran, their suitable transferable skills, their education, and what is it that they're currently doing in the workforce. So helping them transition back into civilian work is essentially our goal. What kind of uh, employment opportunities have you seen veterans take advantage of? Uh, just, oh, so many. I mean, there's a wide range. We have quite a few veterans who have been recently hired on in the nursing field who really enjoy the nursing field. We have veterans who have also been hired on in different business management, IT, um, making very large salaries monthly, which is fantastic as well. So that's the overall goal. And again, when we're evaluating all this, we're also looking at the labor market. We're looking at the individual too. Now, do you usually find positions here locally, or, or do veterans have to, to move to new job locations? Locally, if they choose to move to new jobs for location, it's really going to come down to if they want to relocate for certain positions. But our goal and what we're looking at is the labor market here in Las Vegas, Nevada, even Reno as well, obviously, because sometimes they are interested in relocating to Reno. Okay. And are those jobs, you mentioned like some of them are with IT, so I'm assuming mm -hmm. they're they're more civilian-based companies. Um, does the federal system also hire veterans for this program? Definitely. So it's federal and civilian. We collaborate and network constantly with just different employers out in the field and also federally. And when we do our job clubs that we hold every month, um, and, and right now we are in the works of getting our employment coordinator to hold another one coming up. Um, but when we hold those, we're going to also work with them on developing a resume for federal employment and also civilian employment. Excellent. Yes. That's really clever. I actually didn't even know that program existed. So That is one track to the five that we hold as well. We do also help veterans who have severe disabilities. They may potentially benefit from independent living plans. That's phenomenal. I would imagine you guys probably touch a lot of the, the homeless programs and things like that, trying to yes. find, you know, once we get them into transitional housing, the, the next step is find a job, right? So yes. I would imagine that you guys are, are pretty involved in that side of the house, too. We are, and we're always collaborating with all of our resources here at the hospital, too. So what would you say is the most rewarding thing that you guys get to do as veterans benefits officers? I think it's really just our our clientele. I mean, you know, these people sacrifice so much for our country, and this is a way for us to be able to give back to them, educate them as much as we possibly can, and uh, you know, through this forum, through the town halls, uh, through public contact. But you know, just seeing the changes that we're able to bring to them, whether you know, with the service-connected disabilities, service-connected disabilities lead to health care. You know, um, it leads to uh, employment opportunities and retraining. So for me, it's kind of just working with those folks that sacrificed for us. 
I'm going to piggyback off of what <laughs> Tina said, but I have to also say I, I have a passion and a love for what I do. And I love to see the success stories of a veteran who will share what has happened to them in the past and being able to see them overcome that and being able to see them become social workers, helping other veterans. That is such a huge reward to myself and my team. So I'm very proud of that. I love that. My grandpa served in uh, Iwo, at Iwo Jima in World War II and the Korean War, and he was one of those guys that you said, no, 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 these young kids have it harder than me, Tina. I don't need to come to the VA. I don't need any help. And I'm like, Grandpa, that's what we're here for. So kind of trying to change that mindset that you're not getting in front of anybody else. You know, this is why we're here. And right. I think it's, that's a, an attitude that's very common amongst veterans just because you know so many of us put service before self you know that's one of our core values and any no matter what branch of service you're in so you know when you when you get out you always look at it like well you know I don't need these benefits because I'm going to be taking away from somebody else and you know it was an attitude that I had when I first came to the VA and you know it took other older veterans to explain to me it's like well no this is part of the entitlements that you are entitled to for your service you know and there's you know little things that we don't think about when we're young that as we get older and we start to, you know, the wear and tear from ruck marches and stuff starts to wear on us or, you know, exposure to burn pits, um, things that we don't think about until we're older and those conditions start to creep up. So um, it's important that, that we take advantage of those, you know, the VBA programs and, and um, enrollment. Agreed. Yeah. One day you're going to have seasonal allergies, and it's not going to be seasonal allergies. It's going <laughs> <Yeah>. to be <laughs> rhinitis, and you'll be able to be service-connected for it. So um, thank you, ladies, both very much for joining us today. It's, a, it's an honor, and a, it's good to be able to do some interaction with some of the other aspects of the VA besides just healthcare. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And thank you for listening out there. We will see you next time on Nine Line. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lasvegasva. Thanks for listening.